Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. Today, we're answering some questions from our listeners and members of our copywriting communities. You're going to hear our thoughts on copy editing versus copywriting, online headline tools, juggling multiple projects and dealing with writing slumps. This is going to be a great one, so it's one not to miss. So my name is Belinda Weaver. I'm a copywriter. I'm the founder of Copyright Matters and the Copywriting Masterclass. And with me, as always, is my awesome co-host, Kate Toon. Hello, my name is Kate Toon. I'm also a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the recipe for SEO success. But before we get into today's Q&A, Kate, let's have our getting to know you question. This is where we help our listeners get to know us a little better. So, you know, we've got a quick, personal, possibly relevant fact. Kate, what's your favourite room in your house? Okay, let's have a little honesty moment. The question we were going to ask each other today was who would play you in a movie, but Belinda (laughs) didn't know. (laughs) I panicked. Who would play Belinda in a movie? Then please tweet to us at Hot Copy Pod, or is it Hot Copy Pod or Hot Copy Podcast? I can't remember. A hot but, Copy Podcast. Yeah, if you have any suggestions, let me know. I have a few, but I'm going to keep them to myself. But favorite room in the house? Mm, I suppose I should say something really sensible, like my writing office where I write in my beautiful back garden but I honestly would probably say it's probably the toilet because in the <laughs> toilet I get to like shut the door and lock it no one can bother me and I can play on my iPhone while I'm having a wee and it's kind of like a little sanctuary so there you go I'm picking the loo I'm, I'm really quite jealous. I have a toddler and a dog. I don't get that kind of privacy. You need a big bolt on the door. Just lock them out. It's the only place I get some peace. So, yeah, maybe try that. What's yours? Um, I would say my dining room, but simply because it's got really, really nice light. So we've got a couple of bookcases in there. I've got some nice pictures on the wall. We've got a nice dining room table. Maybe it's more to do with... The fact that it's the only room in the house that kind of feels finished from yeah. a decorating point of view. And, and, and child molested as well. Oh, that sounded so bad. Yeah. <laughs> you all know what we mean. You yeah, all know not, what not we mean. Not messed up by kids. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's Let's right. get into the Q&A, Kate. I the loo and you picked that. And then once again, I sound like the idiot. But never mind. Let's get into the question and answer. Yeah, the first question I have here, um, and of course, we, we put a call out on Twitter and social media and to our communities and our listeners, and these we got some great questions. So, the first one I've got here is from Kylie Saunder, who asks us, what responses do you give prospective clients when they just want some copy editing? Um, she says, in many cases, the amount of time and creative energy on our part is the same as starting with a blank slate. So, she's kind of hoping for some little quick responses she can roll out when, and we all get this inquiry. Um, I thought it would be cheaper if it was just copy editing or I've written most of it and it just needs a little bit of a polish. So do you want to go first on this one, Kate? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Kylie's exactly right. Editing copy can actually be harder than writing it from scratch, especially if the person who wrote the first draft hasn't got the message right or they don't really understand the audience. And then you're not just really uh, tweaking words, you're actually going 
back to basics. So I think she's right. I think it's a case of saying, um, let me take a look at what you've got and I'll give you a quote. And then to be honest, I don't know. I don't know if, because I, I never break down my rates. I don't have a different rate for editing versus copywriting. So I would literally just be going back and saying, having looked at your copy, here's my quote. And that quote wouldn't break down you know, the fact that it's two hours of editing and four hours of copywriting or anything like that. It would just be a blow to your copy to rework it and to edit it and to bring it up to the standard that you want it to be. It's going to cost you blah. And then if they come back and say, I thought it would be a little bit cheaper, well, then they're not comparing it to your editing rate. It's just that they already had a budget in mind. So I just, I don't know if you even go into it. I don't know if you even say, oh, well, you know, the truth is it actually takes more time to copyright than edit. I just don't think you say that. You just look at what they've given you and you give them a quote and you don't do a comparative quote. You don't do, hey, well, if I was gonna edit it, it'd be this much, but it's like copywriting, it's gonna be this much. You just give them the quote to do the job. And you can only really give that quote once you've actually seen what they've produced. Does that make sense? Is that what you think? Um, I'd actually, I approach it a little bit differently because I do the comparative quote. So I always, like you said, take a look at what they've got because you cannot quote without seeing the starting point. It might actually only need a little bit of minor editing or it might be a complete horror show. So I would have a look and what I would usually do is try and upsell to a full copywriting experience because as Kylie said, it's for me, it's the same amount of effort. So I would give the fixed price for the copy editing and then a fixed price explaining all the wonderful inclusions of the copywriting. And I would actually make the prices quite similar. So from a cost point of view, it was a better decision for them to choose for full copywriting because I don't, I don't really like doing copy editing. And the way that I'd explain it to to clients is that I feel like copy editing is trying to make a new puzzle out of the same pieces. Whereas copywriting, you get a whole new picture because it's a more detailed process and you get that blank sheet. And I rarely got people choosing copy editing for when I did that. And, you know, for me, I just prefer to start with a blank sheet of paper. So that's what I tried to, to bring people towards. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's about, you know, understanding what copy editing is. And I think that means lots of different things to different people. So, you know, there's there's a proofread, which is just, you know, correcting grammar and, and spelling mistakes. Editing, which is a bit deeper. Full editing, which can literally be, you know, taking it back to basics and starting again. So, I don't know. I, I find that one a bit odd. Um, I You know, I would because often most of the clients I, I work with have done something, you know, very rarely do I, you know, just start with absolutely nothing, you know, maybe they've pulled together a few bullet points or, you know, they've, they've got some material from third parties. So you're always starting with materials and I would just treat anything the copy, <laughs> the client has done as a, as a, as a piece of raw material from which I would then start copywriting. But I think maybe the, the, the issue here is educating the client and saying, when you say copy editing, what do you mean? I can, one, literally just correct typos and grammar, two, uh, go a bit deeper and, you know, rearrange sentences, maybe, uh, you know, rewrite parts of the copy, or three, go fully deeper and take the gist of what you've written and the points that you've made and actually write it into full copy um, myself. So I think, but then I, I would probably have that conversation before I even started with price. So get the client to clarify 
what they were expecting. Because if they were just expecting you to correct the typos and you come back with a big fat copywriting quote, they're gonna go, whoa. So, and you know, sometimes it's, even though you might look at that copy and think it's the worst copy in the world, again, something Belinda and I talk a lot about on this quote is, giving the client the opinion that I think it could do with a bit of work and I think you could change this, that and the other. But if you just want me to proofread it, I'm happy to do that too. And so, you know, you, you put it out there that it needs the work, but you don't have to necessarily drive that home if you just want the money and want to get the job done. Yeah, I think that's a really great tip is that clarification up front um, mm. and also not really justifying your your price. Your quote is your quote. Um, don't haggle. <laughs> Yeah, don't haggle. But I think, you know, nine times out of 10, when you go back to them and explain that there are these different levels um, that you explain there as well, the differences between copy editing and copywriting, but also light proofing, which I think is different again to editing, um, then the, the client will go, ah, I didn't realise there were different levels. Because they don't, they don't know. Do you know what I mean? What, they might use the phrase copy editing and that might throw you into a spin. But what they really meant was, here's some rough notes I've made, have at it you know or here's some copy that I've spent hours on I just want you to correct typos so you don't know the story behind it so it's a really good idea to ask before you get involved in money because as soon as you put money to it it changes the conversation uh, so you know I think that's that would be the step I would take sort of a pre-quoting step absolutely Okay, well, we've got another good question here, which is from Joanna Kohler. She's one of um, the members of the Clever Copywriting Community. And she asks how to get a solid brief out of a client who doesn't want to give you any info. Oh, those clients that don't like telling us stuff about their business. They do make them a lot hard. What's your thoughts on this one, Belinda? Well... I mean, speaking of clarification, if they don't want to give me the information I need, so they don't want to tell me anything, then I can't really help them. Um, if they don't know how to tell me, that's a bit different. So for me, it's all about getting clients talking. You know, I'd send them my copywriting brief and I'd get them to have a crack at it. Um, but I would always jump on the phone and talk it through. Now, I know we have different we actually do our briefs at different steps in our process, Kate. Um, for me, I didn't take the brief until I got some cash. Um, but for someone who is hiring you to do some writing because they don't feel comfortable doing it, I think expecting a great written brief right off the bat can, can be a little bit too much to expect. So for me, if they have trouble documenting their thoughts, getting them talking was everything because you know, it's kind of, you, you got to fluff them up a bit, get them talking about themselves. They're the hero of their own journey and all that kind of jazz. And once they relax, their passion starts to come out. There's that word you love, Kate. Um, and that's when I start getting the gold. So it was getting them talking, getting them relaxed. Yeah, I think um, mine's similar-ish. So I have two stages with my brief. So the first uh, brief that I ask the client to fill in is really simple. I mean, and really what I'm using that for is a tool for me to be able to quote. So, you know, I, I get them to sort of talk about, you know, what they actually want. Do they want to fly? Uh, how many pages in it? Roughly who their audience is. And often I do only get one word answers, but it enables me to get a quote out to the client, to get a deposit, and then we'll have a proper talky, talky, talky brief um, where we'll go in and dig a bit deeper. Um, and I think you're totally right, asking questions and just talking generally and picking up on words that they use and things they say about their business almost indirectly is where I find most of the information. But another great tip here is to just say to them, who are you like? 
which businesses are like yours because no business is thoroughly unique so they will know who their competitors are or just other sites that they like you know so um if you, and you can prompt that to them you can do a quick google and say ah so is your business a bit like this one and they'll go oh well it is a bit but no 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 because we're different because of this this and this then they're like excellent great now i've got something to work with so comparison can work really well if the client's just completely lost i find yeah i think that's that's a really good tool so so getting them talking prompting them and getting them to do that comparison can be a great way to get them to relax and talk and give you what you need but as i said if if they don't want to give you it then i think it's almost a kibosh on the whole project yeah before we get started. i think we talked about this in previous episodes about bad bad clients bad bad naughty clients but you know like you do pick up on this like so somebody i think you made a really good point there the, the difference between not wanting to and not being able to if the client's just being difficult and not doing it then you know you sort of get the feeling that they could do it they just can't be bothered then that is a bit of a red flag because that's the same kind of client who's gonna you know not give you good feedback probably on your copy but then at the last minute turn around and say well I wanted it to say this and I think it's really important to let the client know that you're not a mind reader and that while you can do your best you know to to research it they are the ones who know their product best and otherwise you end up in these awful situations and and Valindra and I see these all the time in the communities that we're in where it's like they didn't give me any information but I wanted to be great copywriter so I went ahead and did my best and wrote something and the clients come back and said it's completely wrong and it's like you know because she didn't work hard enough in that first bit to get the information. You just wanted to get the project done and moving, but you've gone ahead with something that wasn't quite right, and now you've doubled your work. So this discovery period is so important to really do go hammer and tong to try and get that info. Otherwise, I think it's going to be a struggle when you get to that first, second, and third draft. And hopefully no more drafts than that. Yeah, exactly, 15th draft, exactly. <laughs> All right. The next question I've got is from Sarah Winterbine, who's in my copywriting masterclass. And she asks what we think of the online headline analysis tools like CoSchedule and the rest. And she asked, you know, do we find the data to be correct? Um, or I should say data to be correct. And and would we use them? So, so you go first. No, Kate. I I don't use them. Uh, I, I like the co-schedule. There's another great one by Portent Tools. And, um, oh gosh, there's lots. We can include links to these in the show notes. And I always wheel them out at presentations and I, and I recommend them to, especially non-writers, because they are a good thought starter. But, you know, I think common sense is a good way to analyze your headlines um you know and and sometimes it can be good to put them through if you're just feeling a bit weary and can't come up with anything but you know I think as you become a more proficient copywriter you kind of know the secret sauce you know what's going to work and what's not you know the tried and tested number headline you know when why what how style headlines you know the emotional headline the negative headline the positive headline you just kind of they go into your toolkit and i know that belinda's a huge fan of swipe file so she probably has a great headline swipe file somewhere um my brain is Mm -hmm. my swipe file and i just I tend to, I, I don't, so I know in answer to the question, what do I think of them? I think they're a great starting point. Do I find the data to be correct? I don't think any data like that can be truly correct because it's generated by a, 
an algorithm or a bot or a bit of computer code. So I think emotional resonance is something that you have to kind of get yourself as a creative copywriter. What do you think, B? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think if you're really dry on inspiration, they can help you get started. Um, Maybe even more relevant for your own blog than if you were, say, writing a headline for a client brochure or something like that. But but what you get, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people using these things. So you're going to get super bland headlines back. So, you know, in my course, I teach like this five step process for writing headlines. And yes, you might get a starting point from these kind of headline tools, but it's up to you, as you said, Kate, as a creative and proficient copywriter to then build on that and make it a good, nay, exceptional headline. So there's still a lot of work to be done to write a great headline, but if you're feeling really dry on inspiration, it can be a good enough start. Yeah, and I think, as you said, most of them are geared towards blogs blog posts not sales copy or landing pages or home pages so again yeah you know they're they're they're, they're more for fun daft sort of clickbaity headlines i think quite often um, yeah that's right that's right okay the next question is from lisa cropman from the word nest and she is asking us about planning how do you schedule several projects at once including revision time oh you're gonna make me go first on this yeah. one if i ask it so I think the key to to managing several projects at once is having a clear idea of how long each stage of a project will take. Like if someone books you for 10 pages of a website to write copy for, how long will roughly each page take? And then you should have a, a general percentage. Well, for me, I have a general percentage for revision time and and knowing how long each stage will take is essential. And like, Kate, I think your thing of like, you've got 14 days to give me feedback and that's it. That's really fantastic for scheduling. So, you know, then it becomes a matter of which tool do you use to keep track of projects. So for me, planning, knowing how long each phase is going to last because it shouldn't be that random if you're being a good project manager. No, and I think we've talked about this on, on previous episodes, so maybe we'll link to some of those in the show notes. I mean, I think I think what Belinda said there is spot on, knowing how long it takes you to do the thing, and that is something that often will only come with time. As you become more experienced, you do more and more of the same type of projects. I think really breaking the project up into as many chunks as you can so that you're constantly able to bat things back to the client. So, you know, what I try and do is, you know, if I've got 10 projects on, I'll try and do a little bit to each project and then push them back to the client so that the next action is the client's. And that gives me some space to then work on the other projects that I'm working on. So, you know, always keeping the copy moving is one thing that I talk a lot about in my community. So, you know, you've written it during the day. Can you send it to a proofread? overnight so that you get it back in the morning and then it's ready to send to the client or can you send it to the client overnight and then they have it ready for you the next morning so keeping keeping that content moving not waiting for perfection having you know accepting that each draft is is a draft and that's that's fine so you know doing as much as you need to do on draft one to get it to the client to get some kind of response that enables you to start working on draft two and also having different sizes of projects so you know don't take on three 
200 product description style projects, you know, have an email and a 10 page website and, um, you know, a brochure and a longer project as well. That obviously comes with having a healthy pipeline. And if you, you know, that's something you can listen to our marketing episode about if you want to make your pipeline. So you actually make choices about the types of projects you take on. So, you know, you, you look at the project that's come in and you go, can I fit that in with my other projects? No, I can't. So I'm going to push back on that one and wait for a project that fits into my schedule a little bit better. So not jumping at every single job just because it's offered, but actually really thinking about your workload before you take the job. And that's something that comes with time and confidence as well. So it, it's that decision you make before you even start the job that can be quite crucial. Can I really fit this in when I look at my pipeline that I've already got? And, you know, and if you can't fit it in, what I used to do is just always know what my lead time was. Yeah. So with the current work I had scheduled, when if someone came to me with an inquiry and was saying, well, I, I can't actually begin work for another four weeks, that was pretty much my standard answer actually, <laughs> um, but knowing how long the client might have to wait because there are plenty of things that you can get them started on, like the brief, um, that they can be tackling while you're wrapping up other projects. So yeah. for me, I love me a good Gantt chart. So I always had to kind of see based on my estimates of how each phase, how long each phase would take, when would the project realistically wrap up? So you yeah. have to kind of keep keep your eye on these kind of things if you want yeah. to manage multiple projects at once. Yeah, I think, you, I think, you know, if you are getting to the point where you do have multiple projects, you do need to invest in some kind of tool, whether it's a Gantt chart or something like Basecamp or Asana or Trello that enables you to see, you know, to-do lists and timelines I just I think you know although I will say that for all my years as a producer I just had an excel spreadsheet and I just had dates within that and it and it worked worked fine I think sometimes these fancy softwares can actually confuse you sometimes more than just keeping it simple um but I think that's great you know to go back to the client and say this is the date I can start on if you want me to start on this date if you can complete the brief we can get all the financials done before that date and be ready to hit the ground running with a briefing on this date and lots of people will wait because you know they're just shopping around maybe they're not quite ready and that period of time gives them time to get their ducks in a row so I think that's another option as well one simple thing that I did when I was getting very busy was I just said to myself no I'll take on one new project each week that was that was my simple rule because I'm you know that enabled that, that one project would be taken on and probably at least one would die that week or finish or, or you know be done and it just was a really simple thing so each Monday I took a briefing for a new project and I only did briefings on Mondays and that was my kick because Monday's the day that I felt the most kicky offy you know and uh and and that was it and then if anything came in it was like well I'll find the next Monday I have free so that was it might seem too simplistic but it enabled me to kind of feel a bit calmer about multiple projects so you've got another question on kind of juggling and stuff so i thought well, we, we, let's way. tackle that one good lord look at me. yeah um so the next question is from kelly o'donnell and it's kind of similar to the previous one kind of and it's basically talking about how far in advance you book jobs and then and manage competing deadlines so what are your thoughts on that the lindor um well as i just mentioned i would often give a month 
lead time as my first um, my first response. A tip I give all my students, um, my copyrighted students, is to always appear busier than you really are because I think it kind of it makes you look a bit more exclusive and it doesn't have to be a month. It could be just a week or two, but I don't think you want to appear like you're just sitting around waiting for work, even if you actually are. So, um that doesn't really answer the question though. I would, I would never book, like you said, you said you never book more than a month in advance. I might, I might push to two months when I was really busy, but you know what? When I was juggling that many projects where I was booked out two months in advance, um, I found it very stressful because there's too many variables. And like you said, Kate, other things can happen in their world where all of a sudden they're not ready or they're cancelling or things like that. So eight weeks in advance was always my max and I but I would I think four weeks booking knowing four weeks in advance is always a comfortable lead time. Yeah, I wouldn't go over a, a month, I think because as you said, it just stressed me out. Um knowing that all this work was looming. Gosh, you know, and I know that many People listening might have the opposite problem and be desperate to get that pipeline. But yeah, I think about a month is good. Um, another trick, um, if you want to appear uh, busy but not busy, what well, you know, like you were saying, is to say, um, if you find a job that plops in and you're really keen to do it, is to say, oh, you know, serendipitously, I've just had another client postpone, so I can actually start working on this for you on Thursday. So, you know, that that's a little bit of a white lie, but it's basically saying, no, I'm not, not that I'm completely free, but someone else has just postponed, not cancelled, it has to be postponed, because cancel sounds negative. So, you know, just so happens that um, I've, I've got a gap because a client has just pushed back their project a week, so I can start today. And that enables you to jump on the job without looking like you were desperate for the work. So that's a little top tip there. And the next question is yours, Belinda, I believe. Yes, I've got another one from lovely Sarah from my copywriting masterclass. And she asks, is it better for another copywriter to write your personal page, not yourself? And I think this is a really interesting one. So I I want your thoughts first on this one, Kate. So I'm assuming that Sarah's talking probably just about the about page. Um, Interestingly enough, I have been approached very very many times to write other people other copywriters entire websites so i've written websites for other copywriters for speech writers for editors for proofreaders i did it a lot in the early days and now i kind of don't do it because i kind of go back to the copywriter and go you know what dude i really think you should do that yourself so i know that writing your about page is very difficult but i do think it's kind of a rite of passage that all of you need to pass through because it will be a brilliant and challenging and interesting exercise by all means get another copywriter to read it and give you their opinion but no i don't i felt weird writing other copywriters copy because it's like really Wait, that I don't know because then like you know if we as we constantly say your website is your portfolio and if it was written by somebody else I don't know what that says what are your thoughts um I'm pretty much agree I mean oh, I'd say I with me. Yeah, oh. yeah did you think I was gonna slam you yeah, down <laughs> that's what you would say. yes my copywriting masterclass I teach my copyright and I was gonna feel like a fool no so no not at all I like I don't think it's better to get another copywriter to write your copy but I certainly don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with it 
and I've the same, Kate, I've actually written whole websites for other copywriters. Um, and I think it's a bit of a false pretense because, as you said, your website is effectively part of your portfolio. But if we're just talking about the about page, I totally get that it can be a real struggle to write about yourself in a way um, that doesn't take lots of time. So, look, I like I'm not judging people that outsource it, um, but I would probably recommend people don't go and outsource their entire website because I think that's that's a little bit false. Yeah, so you're kind of not judging, but you are. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> um, next question is from Angela Denley, who's in my Clever Copywriting community, and she says, how do you deal with writing slumps? Now, I'm not quite sure which type of slump she's talking about. Possibly it could be one of two things, either when you have no work or when you just can't think of anything to write about. So how about we do the can't think of anything to write about one? How do you deal with that? Um, I think, I mean, we recently chatted about creativity and I think if people check the outtake for the last um, one of the recent pods about that, we there's you and I privately talking about creativity and we're going to dig into this in a bit more detail. But for me, if I don't have any good ideas and I feel like I just can't squeeze out another word, it's all about a writing process. Having a solid writing process can help me get through that hump And I think, Kate, you and I talked about actually dedicating a whole pod to this. Like, how do we approach a copywriting project? Because for me, having that, as I said, structured writing process gets me typing, gets me thinking, gets me moving, and the slump is gone. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm very template-driven, so I find that just by starting my template, whatever it may be, whether it's for a copy deck or an email or whatever, I have a template for everything. Um, Just by starting that, putting the brand name in, doing some formatting, dropping in some copy... And then, you know, what I might do is is kind of walk away and, and then come back to it. Because what I feel that going through that process is like doing, it's like lining up all your ingredients before you cook. You know those types of cooks that chop the onion and put it in a nice bowl and then chop the pepper and put it in a nice bowl. And then their cooking is really nice and straightforward. They're just tipping bowls into the frying pan. That's exactly the, how I cook, by the way. <laughs> is it? No, other no. Cooks, yeah, totally. So I was like, who, who are you? I don't know. Yeah. That's not you, Um, Then there are other, like, chefs who just kind of chop the mushroom when they need the mushroom and things are a bit hectic and there's bits of onion everywhere. And um, I'd like to be the bowl person. And I find that if I do do the bowl thing, then cooking is easy and straightforward and enjoyable. And if I just kind of try and hack at it and go at it and chop my mushroom as I go, it's it's a horrible, tormented process. So arrange your copy bowls, chop your copy onion, get everything nicely lined up, create a nice template that you're going to start working with, walk away, uh, walk the dog, have a biscuit, come back, and then it's like, wow, all I'm doing now is filling in the gaps and beefing up this paragraph and adding a bit here. It doesn't feel so challenging. That's what I find. Yeah, and I often find I find reading over the, the brief again kind of drops me into the headspace. All right, what are we talking about here? Where are we, you know, what, what's essential information and stuff like that? And that as all part of your structured writing process, you know, I just think the creative slumps um, are much rarer and then you can focus on, okay, I need a really standout idea for this breakthrough bit of copy and you can focus on what, the rear where your efforts should really go 
I think that's it. And I think it's about not waiting. And again, we can cover this in this episode, you know, not waiting for the lightning to strike, the inspiration to hit you and treating it more like just, you know, just plodding on and getting the work done and doing easy bits. Like there are always easy bits of a copy project that just flow easily. And then there are headlines which are much harder and you're really trying to encapsulate that idea so you know plot on with the bits you can do you know format that contact form <laughs> write that faq page those are all easy peasy and then maybe come back to the bit that you're struggling with with a fresh brain and a larger cup of coffee and you know don't you don't have to write your copy in order you can do the easy bits and add bits in later but again i think yeah i think it'd be interesting to talk about this in a full episode how we how we approach these things because i think our approaches are a little bit different and different approaches will work for different writers mm. what about no work slumps um no work slumps oh, i just think you know you have to go out and start whoring yourself around and use our two previous episodes uh for ideas that you know you do need to sort of you know hook up with old business colleagues and let them know that you're a copywriter I just think you have to hustle a little bit and not just sit there feeling sorry for yourself and I think we've talked about this a lot on this pod that this is why you must continually market and not go out with the line I'm so busy I don't have time to market because there will come a time when you won't be busy and you'll wish you had kept marketing so you know keeping consistent marketing will often generate consistent work I think Yes, yeah, spot on. I don't have anything else to add to that. Boom. <laughs> I love it. Done. I love it when I silence you with my genius. <laughs> so the last question is yours, and it's from the lovely Jenny DeLacy. Yeah, and Jenny kept it simple. To niche or not to niche, or as they say here in America, niche. niche which we just to niche. to niche or not to niche. And, you know, we actually covered this in our medical specialist um, interview. Um, well, you know our podcast so well, Belinda. <laughs> but you have to listen to them, don't you? I'm very <laughs> But you know, I would say if you have an industry that you love working in, or you have a particular type of copywriting that you just love to write, then do it. Settle into that specialize. Settle into that niche. Specialize. Go for it. I could have specialised in technical IT copy um, when I left and it would have made sense because that's what my background was. I, I worked in IT. But after 10 years of working in IT, it was absolutely the last thing I wanted to write about. I love the variety of being a, a more generalist copywriter myself, but that's not going to be suit anyone. So suit everyone. So I say, yeah, if you've got an industry you love or a style that you love, niche, do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think niches can be great when you're getting started to kind of get you known for a particular thing. But often they can quickly become a bit of a straitjacket where you are actually stuck doing that thing. And, you know, part of the joy of being a, a copywriter, whether you're freelance or not, is to write lots of different things, write lots of different industries. So, you know, be careful that your niche doesn't become something that you end up loathing um, and, you know, pick carefully and maybe don't don't niche 
so deeply that you know like you actually call your website say i know that jenny's uh, very into videos so you know she could have gone down the route of calling herself the video copywriter and that's great and but then you, you know someone wants a press release they're never going to come to you and you've, you've cut your cut your options off so just be careful how you niche as well and how you position yourself and maybe have a a few niches not just one niche have a you know like I'm good at this and this and this you know so that you at least give yourself a bit of variety yeah absolutely like the key there is you got to love it you got to yeah. really love it and you also be aware that you might you might start loving it and then you might start hating it five years in the seven year hey that's a good episode title the seven year niche <laughs> yeah that <laughs> you get sick of your own niche I'm gonna write that as a blog post there you go that's gonna be my blog post of the week of the week the seven year niche when you become sick of your own niche that you've created. Um, I'll, I'll say I'll write it, and by the time this pod comes out, I w- won't have written it, because I never <laughs> Well, oh, you can get all, yeah, all our listeners, you're Kate's accountability partner on this one. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh, that's terrible. Okay, I'll have to do it now. It's such a good title, I'll have to do it. Yeah, I'll absolutely. put it through the schedule's headline analyzer, though, first, and see if it is a good headline. See what I did there? I circled back. I circled nice. back to the question professional so professional all right but let's let's wrap this up i think um i think we've i think we gave some good answers on this one these were great questions that we got but i think we did all right yeah, Kate. Thank you. yeah and if you do ever have a question at any point not just when we're doing a q a episode feel free to shoot it through we collect all of them and save them up for our next q a episode so feel free to send them to us and you know let's end the pod like we always do with a shout out to one of our listeners who has left us a fantastic review and i'm talking to you newbie writer that was actually the only name that was left and (laughs) he she she he says love the show the advice the tips the awesome copywriting know-how this is going to be this is going to really help me get started in as a copywriter thank you well newbie writer we live to serve and we're really really pleased that the pod is proving to be so useful and thanks to you of course for listening if you like the show don't forget to leave us a rating and review on itunes and stitcher we read them all we love them all and we choose one for each episode so we can give you a shout out we can give you a juicy link in the uh, blog post for this episode which you can find on hotcopypodcast.com we'd love to uh, get your thoughts, get your comments. Do you agree? Do you disagree? And, um, you know, from the intro, who who should we be in movies? That's what we want to know. Give us the answers to our own question for the next pod. Yeah, um, that's the big question. Who should play Blender in a movie? I know who should play me. I've already decided. But I'll, um, I'll save that for a future episode when we are yeah. brave enough to ask. So just save me, everyone. So get, make, me look, make me look good. Um, thank you, Kate. <laughs> Thanks, Linda. Until next time, everyone, happy writing. So you're still listening? Great. Because I wanted to tell you about my new podcast, The Recipe for SEO Success Show. Sadly, this one's just me, Kate Toon, but it is packed full of useful, practical, doable SEO tips and advice. You can find it in the iTunes store, on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Just search for The Recipe for SEO Success Show.
Oh, wait, hang on, I need to burp. 